Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. We all all share a love for Maine's environment. Every day, decisions are made that could impact our woods, waters, wildlife, and climate. Join us as we share stories of Mainers working to build healthier communities and protect what makes Maine so special. Solar energy in Maine has grown sevenfold in the last few years. We've all noticed the fields of solar panels along the roadway, dotting the rooftops as we drive or bike or walk by. Uh, These projects are bringing enormous benefits to Mainers, including helping cash-strapped businesses, local businesses in town save uh, save money on their electric bills. But unfortunately, a recent public campaign by the public advocate to highlight a few problems with some of the existing policies that led to the popularity of solar is having the unfortunate result of vilifying this important clean energy source. And the news coverage is raising questions for many. Um, What we know is more solar is needed to meet our climate goals. It's necessary to help buffer against the price spikes we're experiencing from dirty oil and gas. But what else do we need to know? Well, we're going to find out in this episode. I'm your Frontline Voices host, Colin Durant. And I'm joined by NRCM's Senior Advocate for Climate and Clean Energy and, more importantly, fellow parent of twins, Rebecca Schultz, who's going to help us break through the noise on solar. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Hi, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Um, So I want to kick it. I just have to say, our twins are like the same age. Mm. And um, so if we misspeak, we can just blame it on the fact that we have three and a half year old twins. Um, anyways, um, I just wanted to kick us off with you reminding us, just sort of like centering us on why we need more homegrown sources of solar here in Maine. Why is solar so important for us? Yeah, solar is good. It's really some of the most cost-effective energy that we have available today. And if we're going to electrify our cars and our trucks and our heating and our cooking while displacing fossil fuels, we're going to need it and we're going to need lots of it. So, you know, at a small scale on people's rooftops, it's a way for people to take their energy bills into their own hands, which is really an an awesome aspect of it. It reduces the needs for those customers of the grid, and it reduces the demand on the poles and wires that would otherwise be running power to their house. Um, And if you pair it with a battery, it can help small businesses and households get through extended outages, which we have all the time here in Maine. You know, and at a larger scale, that's really where the price point is best. That's where solar is mm. the most cost effective. When we can build large scale solar and connect it to the grid, that really drives down rates across the board for all ratepayers by substituting fossil fuel dominated energy from the from the regional grid. And then at the medium scale, that's where you have these sort of small and me- medium sized community solar projects that we're seeing pop up all over the place. Um, and that's where people can, you know, have a shared ownership stake or mm-hmm. have a subscription to the energy that are produced from these from these plants that could be main businesses or municipalities or school districts or individual customers that can't put solar on their roofs. So it's really an opportunity for different entities to share in the benefits of solar and take the fight against climate change into their own hands. So that's just there's just all these different benefits that are fantastic about solar. I love it. Let's go. Yeah. Um, that was a great summary. Thank you. Um, so we've seen this enormous growth in solar. This is in large part or mostly due to policies that NRCM supporters and others helped pass here in Maine over the past couple of years. Can you summarize the sort of major policy initiatives that helped jumpstart solar? 
Yeah, so there's sort of two main policy initiatives that have really helped to jumpstart solar for Maine. Um, one of those approaches is called competitive procurement, and that's where the Public Utilities Commission, the PUC, uh, invites, invites projects, developers, and projects to, to submit their proposals in a competitive bidding process. So all so they sort of put out the rules for what they're looking for and project developers submit sort of their, their project specs along with the price point that they need to receive for the energy out of that plant. And the PC has all these bids um, and they review them. And they, everybody, you know, there's an incentive to make yours as low a price as possible that you're comfortable with to cover your costs and to cover your, you know, whatever rate of return you need, 15% or something like that to make some money off the effort. Um, and so then the PUC has all of these very low cost projects to review, and they select the ones that really have the best benefits for main ratepayers. And it's those bids that then are required to contract um, the, with, the, with the transmission and distribution utilities, that's CMP and Versant, for that energy. And so that's really pretty straightforward. We're mm -hmm. really comfortable with that approach. The PUC has done that before. It produces really low cost solar for main ratepayers, and really nobody disagrees with the benefits of this kind of approach. Then there's the other policy that we have in place um, called net energy billing. And this is designed to get more small and medium-sized projects. That's everything under five megawatts. Um, so that could be as big as 20 acres down to as small as you know a rooftop mm -hmm. project. Um, and this is where the customers are participating either by putting solar on their roofs, like I said, or signing up for a monthly subscription or directly investing in a project like municipalities and schools are doing. And whatever the model, the customers offsetting their own utility bills, saving money while directly supporting clean energy and reducing pollution. Um, so there's about 20,000 customers in Maine currently benefiting from lower rates through this program. Mm -hmm. And this, this is the program that really is drawing all the controversy right now. And even actually within this program, there's a sub program that is actually the thing that we should all be talking about. That's, you know, the, the way it's designed is not quite right and it's costing more than it needs to. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's net energy billing, which is one policy approach for the small and medium sized projects. And then this competitive procurement process overseen by the PUC for larger scale projects. Those are the two policy initiatives that we have here in Maine. Nice. And let's just revisit. I mean, you've mentioned, the, you mentioned these at the top, but I really want to reiterate. Let's just, could you just lead us through some of the direct benefits to Mainers and to Maine from solar, whether you're a rate pit payer, whether you're somebody who owns solar, um, you know, the benefits to the grid, yeah, well, so, you know, again, because we're oh, there's so many different kinds of projects, they really have a lot of different sorts of benefits. These large scale projects are simply, you know, they simply reduce rates for all main ratepayers. They're just mm -hmm. they're just very cost effective. So these large scale projects, you know, would come in at, let's say, five cents per kilowatt hour against the standard offer supply, which is based on the regional electricity from the regional grid, which is 17 cents per kilowatt hour. Oh, so yeah. it's a huge cost savings. If we can just substitute what we would otherwise have to buy from the regional grid, that just has great benefits for all main ratepayers. It just reduces, has a downward pr pressure on rates. So um, that is just a real thing. And then with respect to these small and medium-sized projects, um, there are really so many different benefits. 
Um, there's the energy benefits. There's the capacity benefits for having that energy in the future when you're going to need it. There's avoided transmission and distribution benefits. It all has this price depreciation benefit because there's more supply on the regional grid. So there's a downward effect there. Mm -hmm. There's the renewable energy credits, which are a whole additional revenue stream. That's benefits. There's... Um, you know, the pollution reduction benefits, of course, and, you know, just that citizen engagement in our response to climate change. That's a huge, huge benefit. And it's partly because there are so many benefits mm -hmm. and they include so many different entities um, and that some of these benefits are a lot easier to monetize than others. That's mm -hmm. part of what makes pro a program that's going to go out and try to support these kinds of projects so difficult to design. Um, and so complex and really how it tests the limits of our regulatory approach. Mm. Um, because, you know, uh, our form of regulating these utilities is based on, you know, a model of electricity production from 100 years ago. Um, and actually, if I just can dive into the legislature right now, there's a there's a bill that we're supporting um, sponsored by Senator Lawrence. Um, I don't know if this is too weedy for everybody. Go for it. I'll we get into the LD number, the LD 1986, which is uh, suggesting that we really take a new approach to evaluating the costs and benefits of these types of programs and seeing them next to each other. So we have a really much more holistic and integrated and honest accounting of what these projects actually cost. Whereas right now we're really just looking at it through a lens of lost utility revenue, which mm -hmm. just doesn't capture all of these kinds of benefits, some of which can be socialized and some of which actually accrued to the grid itself, you know, and really have benefits that just aren't being recognized. Um, so that is something that we're really trying to support. Uh, and nice. we hope that the legislature will pass. Yeah. Well, I love that paradigm shift and you, the shift from like sole profit for like shareholders or utilities to really understanding the full scope of societal and environmental and economic benefit. That's, that seems like it's so important. And it's one of the reasons I wanted you to just list that because it's lost in this news coverage and it's lost in this sort of like this unfortunate campaign by the public advocate is, is not, is, is under like vastly understating those benefits. Yeah. And so right. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Of course, there's also like the hundreds of new jobs and local businesses that have sprouted up, right? This is like yeah. an economic engine, like clean energy is an economic engine we know. And so we have to, we have to think about all those things in the context, it, you know, um, I, I, I just say like, I love reading those news stories of school districts or a local business that's saving like, you know, thousands on their electricity bill because of solar and community solar. Um, one of the, you sort of mentioned this, I don't know if you want to dive into it a little more, but I love to geek out on this, the sort of like so-called duck curve that the regional grid puts out sometimes. And it's, it's come over, you know, basic, as I understand it, you, you, you can explain, you'll be able to explain it better, but like all the solar that's come online, whether they're on people's rooftops, um, you know, on when it's cranking out clean energy, you can see how it reduces demand on the regional electric grid and helps reduce our reliance on um, dirty oil and gas. I don't like, is there anything, can you just speak a little bit more about, you've taught that the importance of these projects to the regional grid and, and that sort of like power they have. Yeah, um, yeah. Big picture, well, big picture. Yeah, so the, the duck curve, the whole idea there is that, um, uh, 
the whole system needs to be able to meet the maximum demand on it. So even if there's just 15 minutes in the most hot day in summer when everybody's cranking their AC and whatever, doing their laundry or whatever, because the kids are home from school, like it, even if it's just a 15 minute point where the, the grid is just super maxed out, the entire system needs to be built, all the poles and wires and all the substations, mm. all the transformers to meet that one 15 minute increment of demand, let's say. Um, and so the really cool thing about solar is that right now our periods of peak demand are during the summer, during mm -hmm. the day when the sun is shining in Maine. So solar is really cool in that regard because it's it's meeting, if we can really amp things up and build this out, we can reduce those huge cost burdens on the system to be able to meet that max that max peak point, which otherwise all of that capacity in the system is just laying idle because it's not really being used. But if we can meet that by producing solar energy behind the meter, for instance, or closer to where it's needed, then we don't have that same stress on the system and we don't have to build out the system to meet that one or a couple moments in time of max demand. And nice. so you can imagine the thing with the duck curve is that um, solar produces the most into the system during, you know, the peak sunny hours of the day. And so you have this huge, you know, uh, load sort of curve where you see this, you know, big spike during those hours of production. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the sun goes down, it drops, right? It drops down. And what will become a problem once we have enough solar and what they're seeing in places like California, where they do have a lot of solar and it's very sunny, um, you really have to come up with strategies to meet demand as the solar is coming off mm -hmm. so quickly towards the end of the day, because that is also the time when everybody is coming home from work and soon to be plugging in everybody's EVs, electric vehicles, for instance. And so you'll see a big demand in electricity, not during the summer, the, the peak sunny hours of the day, but once the sun goes down. And so mm -hmm. meeting that, that demand as the, as the solar output is coming down towards the end of the day, that will be the really big challenge that we'll mm -hmm. face. And that's why things like battery storage are so important. And yep. that's why having a diversity of renewable energy sources, be it solar from different parts of the landscape or wind from different parts of the landscape or onshore offshore wind that is just capturing renewable energy at different times of the day mm -hmm. will be so important to really balancing this system, as well as having a really flexible grid that can you know, encourage people and pay them for the benefits of mm -hmm. not running their dishwasher, you know, at the peak time in the evening when everybody is plugging in their EVs, but instead, you know, just having an automatic delay that, you know, runs the dishes later on in the evening. When, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like we just installed a hot pump, uh, uh, heat pump, hot water heater. Oh, cool. And I think it's like, I think we, it can be grid responsive. I don't, but, and so like, theoretically, yeah, we had, I mean, there's like amazing incentives. They're like half off right now. And, and our old water heater was about to explode. So Perfect. we were sort of forced, awesome. forced to, but uh, yeah, it's good. But in it right now it kicks on usually at night. And I imagine, you know, in the sort of this future that you're talking about, you could sort of program it to yeah. kick on. Uh, during the day, like you said, when 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 you've got this excess or when when like solar is really powering up. Yeah, cool. I mean, right now, no matter what, even if you're not paid for it, there would be a real benefit to just having it automatically programmed to run, you know, at, at midnight or whatever. Mm. And in the future, these will be run, you know, they'll be programmed to sort of preheat, you know, prior yeah. to the peak time of the day, but also when you need it. So it'll be ready. Super cool. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff there, but. 
<laughs> Neat. Well, let's just return to solar and what we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. So we've talked about how awesome solar is. Um, as you sort of alluded to, and as we've talked about, this success hasn't been without growing pains. And as with all good public policy, we've got to revisit it. We've got to make sure it's working as well as possible. That's part, we'll talk, we'll dive a little bit more into the details of part of like what we're proposing and what, what Senator Lawrence's bill will do. Um, but as I mentioned, um, one of the, you know, one of the concerns that's been raised is, uh, is about how sort of or about net energy billing is ahead of this expected rate increase in July. So can you just help people understand the relationship between solar and their electricity bills? And then also yeah. maybe uh, talk about why elect our electricity bills are so high, right? Like my yeah. bill has yeah. just jumped so much. I mean, you know, the, the Office of the Public Advocate, they're under a lot of pressure right now to help people deal with these skyrocketing electricity bills. They get calls all the time because the typical CMP bill, the residential bill, has increased over $60 a month over the last two years because of our over-reliance on natural gas generation in the regional grid because we've had you know, all these supply hiccups associated with the pandemic, and now we have a war in Ukraine and natural gas is uh, you know, globally being, being pressed higher and higher and higher due to scarcity. So we have seen real bill impacts associated with those nat that natural gas volatility. And the OPA unfortunately is scapegoating the solar industry for this increase in rates. And they proposed legislation that would really try to dismantle this net energy billing program. Um, and roll it back to a LePage era policy that would really stifle this 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 scale project um, mm -hmm. in Maine. But you know, in fact, we really do all agree that the NEB program does need some changes. Um, but you know, rolling back this program is not a response to high electricity costs, and it's not going to protect Maine families and businesses from volatile fossil fuel prices. But but the fact is that these rates are poised to increase in July, all of our rates in Versant and CMP territory. And that's just part of an annual reconciliation process that happens between the PUC and the utilities every year um, to square forecasted costs against actual costs so that we can kind of incrementally keep pace of, of of our, expecta our expectations with respect to utility business and what's actually happening. And the bigger than usual increase that's expected in July is due to 2019 legislation that really ramped up subsidies for this, this kind of project through the mm -hmm. NEB, through the Net Energy Billing Program. Mm -hmm. So these pro projects from the 2019 legislation are coming online and they're generating solar energy and that is reducing subscriber electricity bills and offsetting fossil fuel power supplies and also reducing utility revenues. So that's what's getting reconciled right now. Um, that's this lost revenue that the utilities are looking to recover. So mm -hmm. the exact amount that will go into this July one rate increase across the board has not been determined yet. And we really need the Public Utilities Commission to scrutinize the data that the utilities have put forth in justifying the rate increase that they're looking for. But that could be in a range of seven to nine dollars mm -hmm. a month on the average residential utility bill. So we're we're still see where that goes. There are a lot of assumptions baked into the utilities number that really have not been vetted and are not transparent with respect to um, how much solar we can actually expect to come online, new solar generation to come online in the next 24, uh, 12 months, sorry, um, how much output 
and solar energy output actually comes from these projects. Um, mm -hmm. We know that the utilities assumptions are not taking into account two statutory changes to the program itself. So they're forecasting numbers out that just don't make any sense because they're beyond the total scope of the project, for instance. Um, so there's 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 a lot of scrutiny that needs to happen there before we can really feel confident mm -hmm. that utilities aren't going to be recouping more than their fair share with respect to this rate hike. Yeah, but, I mean, I sorry. Go ahead. I couldn't help but say, I mean, if if if, if anyone in Maine knows anything, it's that we, a we can't trust mm -hmm. CMP. And if CMP is doing math, we better be double checking that math, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that may, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And as you said from the outset, you know, that rate increase is going to have an impact, but it pales in comparison to the impact. Right. From I our mean, reliance $7 on a month versus the $60 a month. Yeah. If you're trying to keep keep electricity rates down and shelter main ratepayers from, you know, high electricity rates, let's look to protecting them from volatile natural gas prices, really. Yeah. And then 100%. another really important part of the story is that, like, if you dig into these numbers, the vast majority of these net energy billing costs that are going to be recovered starting July 1, like 84%, are owing to one subsection of the program that's called the tariff rate program that's available exclusively to large commercial and institutional um, customers. So, you know, the Office of Public Advocate right now is proposing to roll back the entire NEB program when really we need to be thinking constructively about what we can do to this subset of the program to improve the cost to benefit ratio in that program. Because mm -hmm. the rest of it makes sense. The rest of it is good for main rate pairs. Right. Yeah. So like a surgical improvement. And like you said, instead of scrapping it and going back to a LePage era policy that stifles solar, let's let's like instead of moving backward, let's move forward. That just yeah. seems to be common sense to me. Um, right. right. So you had the, you wrote this great blog for our website, nrcm.org. Go and check it out. Um, you've talked a little bit about um, the three sort of solutions or suggestions we had. You you talked about scrutinizing math. You talked about really sort of surg this surgical. Imp I don't know if surgical is the right word, but really addressing the driver of of the the problem, which is this tariff rate increase. Um, I, I also understand there's there's uh, there's a couple other like su suggestions you have about how we evolve net energy billing and then also tapping into some federal funds that would help give relief to some low moderate income um, electricity customers families. So can you just talk a little bit about that that third sort of set of recommendations we have or solutions? Yeah, we're offering. Yeah. Well, and I'll talk about the second too. <laughs> oh yeah, talk about the second. Yeah, so first we even say, let's go and scrutinize the numbers here and make sure we know what we're talking about mm -hmm. um, with respect to this rate increase that's scheduled for July. But then we've also been saying, you know, let's go get more of this low cost, homegrown, large scale utility oh, right. solar that we know is cheap. We know how to do it. This tried and true approach of competitive procurement that the Public Utilities Commission really can do well at this point. Let's go do that. And there's a bill that Senator Vitelli has put forth, 1830, that you know encourages, would direct the PUC to go and do more of this kind of procurement. So we know right. this is good. Even the, the public advocate, everybody agrees that this is great and reduces rates across the board. Right now, right, a project like this would come in at five cents versus the standard offer at 17 cents. So the benefits are big there. Let's go do that. That's 1830, Senator Vitelli, let's get this done. 
Then third, we say, let's put in place the successor program. We had a really, really thoughtful process overseen by the governor's energy office um, at the direction of the legislature uh, for 16 months, brought together a bunch of stakeholders, very thoughtful process, brought in expert technical analysis, perspectives from around the country to develop a successor program that would really maximize benefits for Maine people. And we have an excellent design uh, proposal as part of that, that process. So let's go put that in place to transition the away from the existing net energy billing program and maintain support for Maine's clean energy economy with this new direction. Um, that program, um, one, of the, one of the key recommendations to come out of that stakeholder working group process was that, holy moly, there is a lot of money coming from the federal government through the Inflation Reduction Act of last year mm -hmm. to support state programs for solar. Um, so if we can design this successor program to really take advantage of that money to get as much of that money for Maine as we can, we can help that you know huge, like once in a century, national scale investment uh, to under help that to use that to underwrite our clean energy transition. And a mm -hmm. lot of that money is geared towards supporting um, low and moderate income households benefit and uh, from solar energy. So, so because a lot of those program details and what those proposals are going to require, the eligibility details, none of that is quite clear yet. Um, but a lot of it's coming online very soon. There's a $7 billion program out of the uh, Environmental Protection Agency called the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. And those details are coming uh, coming out any, any day now, early summer, we expect them. So there's a bill in the legislature that tells the governor's energy office to go and get that money, go design a program that can get as much money from the federal government as possible so that we can direct the benefits of solar to low and moderate income Mainers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, let's let's do that. Let's put in place the successor program so that we can take advantage of this, these, these federal resources to really make sure we're taking you know, taking this to the next level and doing it as cheaply as possible. And so that's that's a really fantastic, uh, you know, opportunity that we have right now to design our programs to get that money. And so that, that's a really important piece of this response too. Mm -hmm. And um, that is Senator Lawrence's bill 1986, which directs the governor's energy office to go out and develop um, a successor program for cost-effective solar from small and medium-sized solar projects and to go get that federal money to do this in direct benefits to low and moderate income rate pairs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a mouthful, there's so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how you keep it all in your head. Um, well, so I know that we're all so grateful for all the work that you and Jack and Josh and the entire Climate Clean Energy team do with experts and policymakers to enact policies that are going to enable this swifter transition to clean energy, help us achieve goals uh, like the ones that we've set, the bipartisan greenhouse gas reduction targets that have been set by the legislature, but also help us achieve these bigger goals like the 100% renewable by 2040 goal that was proposed earlier this year by Governor Mills. Um, so just as we wrap up, thank you for all your hard work. And then is there, I just wanna make sure, is there anything else you think we missed? Any sort of like last final comment you think people should know about to better understand, you know, the issue of solar and clean energy here in Maine? 
Well, I would just say that this successor program that the stakeholder group has developed and that hopefully will get in place as soon as possible um, in this legislative session with enabling legislation, you know, really does meet the concerns of the Office of the Public Advocate. We have it's a it's a very cost effective program. The expert um, technical analysis that was done as part of that effort found that for every dollar of ratepayer money invested in this program, that will be two dollars and seventy seven cents return on that dollar. So that is that is huge benefits wow. that will directly accrue to ratepayers, directly depreciate rates. So you know they're 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 this is cost effective and we can do this right. And we have done a lot of hard work to develop a successor program. Um so stay so let's go do it. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. I know I mean we're we're recording this podcast right in the middle of two days of hearings on this issue. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know there's one thing we can all agree on and it's that we can't af afford to delay this transition to clean energy. And of course, moving forward on solar is gonna be a big part of that. So thanks again. Wanna yeah. thank our listeners. Yes, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. Um, and wanna thank as always our listeners for tuning in. And like I said, Rebecca's written a great blog on this. It's on our website, nrcm.org. Uh, and, and as always to our listeners, if you like what you heard, please spread the word, pass it on to your friends or family. Give us that review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And I uh, hope you're enjoying the spring weather. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment, Frontline, Frontline Voices. Voices. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work protecting Maine's environment, visit nrcm.org or follow us on social media at NRCM Environment.